Good afternoon. If you have a copy of God's Word, you can be turning to Genesis chapter 3. I'm also going to uh, invite you in a few moments, we're going to use our songbook. If you want to have one set out or if you can reach it in front of you, that's fine. No need to have it necessarily, but I want us to look at a few songs together in just a moment as well. Uh, we're grateful that you're here. Got some visitors among us again. We're thankful you've come our way. I uh, appreciate the good attendance and crowd this morning, the lesson, and uh, good time at lunch for those who were able to stay, and look forward to our study here together for a, a few moments this afternoon. Uh, let me just say again, appreciate Gabe's prayer uh, so much, Don leading us in singing. Appreciate Gabe praying for our talents and the talents that we have here. That's certainly in a general sense uh, with the things that we do and the way we try to work together. Uh, but let me encourage you again, we had our uh, very brief VBS meeting, and we'd love to use your talents there as well. If you didn't see us uh, during that time, then if you missed it or forgot, that's all right. We can uh, still have you sign up for something. I'm sure we'll still need some help, and you can rest assured, if you don't sign up, we'll come hunt you down, as always, and make sure we get enough workers. Uh, but we look forward to that coming up in, in a month or so here. I did also forget to mention this morning uh, that I meant to say in the lesson that, you know, we kind of joke about coming to the front, you know, sitting towards the front. We always offer to rent these seats to you if you want to come that far up front. I mean, you know, the kids have always said, can we sit up there? And I said, yes, I'll just charge you a little bit. But you want to talk about losing focus. That may be really hard to focus or for everybody else to focus. But, uh, yeah, you're always welcome to come sit this far up front uh, if you'd like to. But we appreciate the kind comments about the lesson this morning on worship. And we are going to continue that this afternoon. If you're new to us or this study, it is a, a word study that was done uh, several years ago now by the Jenkins family, uh, several of the uh, Jenkins who preach and their children and other preachers in the, uh, we're really all over the country. Uh, it's meant to be a 52-week study, but we kind of turned it into a monthly study, so we don't have to uh, do it every week, but we're able to kind of spread out a little bit and to uh, use it and then have other opportunities to preach other lessons, but you can see if you can make it out there, onewordstudy.com is where this comes from, and we've been looking at many words already, and they've been kind of grouped together, uh, and we're in the middle, midst of a, a section of words that talk about uh, the idea of God's family or God's kingdom. We talked about fellowship last month, and now we're going to turn around here and talk about the word worship. Heath, I'm having trouble getting this to go forward. You may have to take over or... All right. So week 28, by the way that we're doing it, or month or month 28, by the way that we're doing it here. Uh, but the word worship is what we're going to talk about, and then there's where God's church. That's kind of the general section of this uh, uh, theme for this particular section. And then we'll come back and talk about talk about kingdom and proclaim in the coming months. God be willing. I ask you to turn to Genesis chapter three. From the beginning, in the garden, God has always wanted a meaningful relationship with His people. In fact, Genesis chapter 3 around verse 9 sort of suggests the idea that God customarily walked. Now, it's in quotation marks in my notes, but walked in the garden with Adam and Eve. Now, that's the, that's the greatest relationship, right? In a sense that the, he is almost walking amongst them. We don't have that same kind of relationship. He doesn't come down, in a sense, into the auditorium here with us. We always say, and in a way, he is with us. He's uh, observing our worship, but, you know, he always wanted this meaningful relationship. We go a little bit further than that in chapter 4, and their children, Cain and Abel, brought worship to God. And from them, we learn that God expects the worshiper to have faith as, excuse me, to have faith and to worship as God directs. We think about the fact here there was a problem, and of course then comes about the murder, but it has to do with worship. 
Now, there are two Hebrew words. If you have a bulletin in front of you, you're going to see uh, some blanks to fill those in. There are two Hebrew words. The first one is, I guess we're just going to kind of pronounce it as it looks there, barak, which means to kneel or bow and thus to come in reverence as an act of adoration. Now, if you have your Bible there, you can turn to Psalm 34. We'll look at a couple of passages here where these are used. Psalm 34 and verse number 1. Psalm 34, 1. I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. And so this word barak carries with it the idea of kneeling or bowing. You know, that's what we think of when we think of worship. We don't kneel or bow. We don't get down into the floor while we're here, but, but we get that idea. We certainly bow our heads in prayer, typically to show this kind of reverence or act of adoration. So that's one word, and it's used uh, in that way there in Psalm 34. The other word is halal, or halal, that's H-A-L-A-L. And in Psalm 22 and verse 23, Psalm 22 and verse 23, you who fear the Lord, praise him. All you descendants of Jacob, glorify him. And fear him, all you offspring of Israel. Now, you can obviously see it here, but when you think of the word halal, you can think of hallelujah, as we say, a word in many songs. And in fact, I, you know, these were separate lessons somewhat, separate sets of notes. But in the notes for this afternoon's lesson, in the word study that's done, it mentions Isaiah chapter 1. Do you remember being there just a few hours ago? Isaiah 1, 11 through 17 God is not pleased with the worship. Remember us discussing that if you were with us? God is not pleased when one offers the outward expressions of worship, but the person's life is not obedient. Remember, that was the problem. Why would the Bible say that God did not accept their worship? It's because their life wasn't in accordance with that. You can give lip service all the time. The New Testament speaks about that, correct? Jesus talks about the idea of our lips giving service, but our body, our minds, our hearts, our whole life not being in service to God. So Isaiah 1 talks about that in addition, God is not pleased when our life does not match up with our worship. So here's what's interesting. From the Old Testament, we see that God wants each of his people to come before him in a spirit of reverence to offer praise out of a life that's lived in submission to his will. And, and what's kind of interesting, I think, is when you look at a lot of Old Testament examples, we get examples of what not to do, right? How we should not worship, which is not according to his word or just with our lips sort of in worship but not living our lives a certain way. And so those are a couple of Old Testament Hebrew words that are used there to begin to put this idea forth of worship praise, kneeling, or bowing in reverence. And when we come to the New Testament, you may have heard this Greek word before in the New Testament. And if you have your Bibles, you can turn to Matthew chapter 4. Matthew chapter 4. The Greek word in the New Testament that is often used is proskuneo. Uh, and it is kind of like the Hebrew word barak. It means to bow before. But I've always heard Dan Winkler say it uh, and it is, it's always encouraged me, but it's really the idea of to kiss. When you break down the word, it's to kiss or to kiss towards something. So it more literally means to kiss the ground before. And, and I've heard people kind of explain it that way. Dan Winkler gives a great uh, explanation. I read somewhere, I think, in kind of a transcript of one of his lessons, he's even talked about the idea of blowing a kiss toward God. 
And that's not mean, meant to be irreverent, not to bring you know, God down in an irreverent sense towards our level. But yes, when we understand blowing a kiss to someone we love, showing that idea of reverence in a sense, we begin to understand exactly what this word means. To kiss the ground before expresses the adoration in a spirit of awe. In fact, in Matthew chapter 4 and verse number 10 Jesus, when he's being tempted by Satan, says, Away with you, Satan, for it is written, You shall worship, again, proskuneo, worship the Lord your God, and him only you shall serve. Uh, If you're there in the New Testament, turn over to Mark, Mark chapter 5 and verse number 6. This really kind of puts forth the idea for us, right? Because it's the demon-possessed man who comes to Jesus, Mark 5, verse 6. When he saw Jesus from afar, he ran and worshipped him. Kissed the ground towards, bowed down, reverence. You, you kind of understand all of these ideas. Now, one of the questions that sometimes comes up with the idea of worship is whether or not all of life is worship. And there's certainly a sense in which everything we do offers praise to God. We oftentimes quote Matthew 5 where Jesus says that we should let our light shine so that people can see our good works and glorify God. It's a, in a sense, it brings praise to God by what we do. But there's also this time then of worship, of honoring him that we've already been through today. We're kind of going through now and the way that we talked about this morning being better Worshippers. So those are the words, very simply, but let's continue on making a little bit of application. I'm going to have several passages, if you're following along, as we continue some thoughts here, thinking about worship. As you're turning to John 4, let me just remind you again, as we were kind of emphasizing a second ago, that in the Old and New Testament, both, many passages in both Testaments describe people attempting to worship God. Now here's, here's a thought I'd like for you to consider. Unfortunately, I don't know if you ever thought about this, but unfortunately when we comb the pages of the Bible, there are about as many times when the effort to worship God is displeasing to him than it is pleasing to him. Can I remind you of Exodus 32 and the golden calf, 1 Samuel 13 and Saul, 2 Chronicles 26 and Uzzah, The Pharisees in the book of Matthew and even the church in Corinth in 1 Corinthians 11 are all ways in which worship is discussed, but it's discussed in a way that it was not pleasing to God. Now let me invite you again to Wednesday night. We'll continue our discussion that we began last week on worship, in, in particular in regards to our singing. But we started that discussion last Wednesday night by saying that very often people assume because they offer worship to God that he has to accept it but on the pages of the Bible that's not always what we see very often it has been displeasing John 4 21 through 24 is one of the most important passages about worship and in it is Jesus' statement in his conversation with the Samaritan woman she asked whether it is right to worship on Mount Gerizim or in Jerusalem Because in the Old Testament times, the place was especially important. You see that in verse number 20, if you're there in John chapter 4. But what will matter, as Jesus replies, is not that the place is the concern, but that we are worshiping in spirit and in truth. Most of you are familiar with that phrase from John 4, 24. He is then calling us to worship with what 
that part of our beings that's made in the image of God, our spirit. I mean, we talked this morning about very often our face doesn't show anything that maybe we feel on the inside. We sit stone-faced, without emotion, just going through the, the motions in a sense. But we, maybe we feel a little emotion, emotion inside, but our spirits are not showing that we're worshiping in spirit. So worship is to be our spirits reaching out to the spirit, God. And through our spirits, we make contact with God. And of course, Paul emphasizes this in many of his writings. He says in 1 Corinthians 14, 15, that we will worship with our spirit, or he says he will worship with his spirit. We know in Ephesians 5, 19, that we often quote when it comes to the singing, that we are to be singing and making melody where? In our heart to the Lord. Now, Jesus also says that we are to worship in truth, right? There in John's, uh, John 4 and verse 24. And of course, when we think about truth, and later in John's account, Jesus is going to say, thy word is truth, John 17, 17. So worship with our spirit tells the nature of our worship, but worshiping in truth tells us that our worship is to be, or to God must be as he has revealed for us in his word. God has always told his people what to do in worship. Whether it's the patriarchs, when we think about Genesis and the book there, the early accounts, he's telling the patriarchs what to do, whether it's the Israelites or whether it's the church. He has told us how to worship. He has never left it for people to decide for themselves how to worship him. Because when people are left to their own ideas, they often devise worship styles that are disrespectful that are harmful that do things that are not the way God has told us to do them secondly first Corinthians chapter 11 and verses 17 through 34 first Corinthians 11 17 through 34 through his apostles Christ made it clear how we are to worship following what the Holy Spirit led apostles said by inspiration what they said and what they did the early church took the Lord's Supper in memory of him. We're going to talk about some of the acts of worship, as we call them here for just a moment. But we see that he has told us how to worship. One of those ways is to partake of the Lord's Supper. Uh, the Lord's Supper. There, in, beginning in verse 17, Paul is going to give them instructions by inspiration of the Holy Spirit of what they should do. And we, we even went over to verses 23 through 26 on Wednesday night as we talked about the pattern of knowing the frequency of taking the Lord's Supper. That it is to be done every first day of the week, of every week, as the Bible tells us. So that's one thing that they did, and it seems like that's one of the main things that they did each time that they gathered together. We are familiar with Ephesians 5.19 in the third place here on the screen uh, because we see that they sang and they prayed. As they were going to be assembling together, as they were just together, they were speaking to one another, psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord, in your heart to the Lord. They were offering up their song. We, of course, think about Paul and Silas and so many others who were singing as they go through this life. As I said this morning, I know that not everyone maybe has musical ability or talent. Maybe you feel like your singing is not the best. But we're going to talk about songs in just a moment. We're going to come back to that idea. Uh, and we want to think about that it, that's not exactly what matters. Well, let's do it here. I couldn't remember what order the slides were in. If you've got your songbook, I'm going to ask you to turn to song 501 for just a second. 
501. Don led this one. I didn't ask him to, but he did. I appreciate it worked out. But when we think about our songs for just a few moments, how often do you pay attention to the words? Because have you ever considered that as we sing, we need to think about the audience? Many of the songs that are spoken or that are sung are spoken directly to God. Before we get to 501, I have on the screen here, Glorify Thy Name. Some of you are familiar with that. It was a bit of a devotional kind of youth song when I was younger, um, but we still sing it sometimes, Glorify Thy Name, singing praise to God, right? That song also has a verse to the Father, another to the Son, and another to the Holy Spirit. So we sing sometimes in those regards directly to the Godhead. There's another song that we sometimes sing, Take Time to Be Holy. Now, are we telling God to be holy? Well, of course not. Sometimes, number one, we sing to God or to the Godhead. Number two, sometimes we sing songs to each other. When we sing songs like Take Time to Be Holy, we encourage each other to be holy. Not God, but each other. And then the 501 song there, Oh, worship the king. It's interesting because as you look at it there, have you ever noticed that the first verse, in the first verse, we urge one another to worship the king. But in the second and third verses, we address God directly and singing in thee do we trust, nor find thee to fail. I don't know how often you might have paid attention to something like that before. As I said, I'll be the first one to admit singing a lot of these songs for my entire life. It's easy to try to recall the words from memory and not pay attention to what you're really singing. Let me ask you to turn to one that we sang this morning, 268. If you open a songbook, turn to 268. And of course, this was, I, I had a, the cheat sheet, right? I knew what we were talking about this afternoon. But this one actually struck me this morning as we were singing it. Because once again, I'll say, I have just as much of a normal human brain as anybody else it's easy for me to sit in the pew and I'm thinking about the sermon I'm fixing to preach or what's going on around me or something that's happened this morning and not be focusing on the words we started singing 268 this morning and it said my father's house of light my glory circled throne in the second verse there and then it got to the third or excuse me the next part of that the second verse I left for earthly night for wanderings sad and lone. And I had this thought in my head for just a moment this morning that maybe that's us singing about us being alone, you know, us giving up the worldly life for what we would be, maybe consider being alone, those wanderings there that's talk, talked about there. Then I realized as we got back to kind of the chorus there at the bottom of the page, if you turn to 268, I'm like, well, wait a minute. If you are paying attention to the words, this is not us singing, in a sense, to God. It's not us singing to each other, but it's us singing in the style, if we were Jesus, saying, I gave, I left, I born it all for thee. And it makes us, really, we need to pay attention to the words that we're singing, because sometimes with our songs, not only is it one or the other, but sometimes it even switches a little bit. What we're saying, and I just encourage you, and I even remind myself that we need to pay attention as we go through these things because the author wrote them for a reason and we sing them for a reason. But we need to know what that is, not just mindlessly going through these lyrics. All right, there were two more verses. The top three are the ones we just went through, if you're making notes. But there are two more things we want to touch on this afternoon. 1 Corinthians 14, 26 and verses 29 through 33 
1 Corinthians 14, Paul is talking about that those men who had a message from God spoke to those who were assembled. If you have headings in your Bible, mine says at the beginning of verse 26, order in church meetings. And so we think about the corporate, we use that term, corporate assembly. And one of the things we do is someone stands up and delivers a message of sorts. And so that is part of our thing, our worship service as well. And then if you're there, 1 Corinthians 16 and verse 2, Charles led us in our thoughts this morning uh, as we think about the offering. Paul asked there on, that when the church is assembled on the first day of the week, they should contribute through laying by in store. And so we've kind of touched on here uh, this afternoon just the what we commonly call the five acts of worship, but the things that we need to be involved in. And I call you back to the lesson this morning, if you were here, that you think about what did I bring and what am I going to carry away as we examine those acts of worship. We talked about it in our church reset book on Wednesday nights a few months ago. We make it so much about the preaching maybe or, or some specific part. We set those other, other parts of our worship aside and that's not good. The singing is important as we encourage one another and praise God. So is the contribution and especially the partaking of the Lord's Supper. As we go through the last few points, if you have an outline in front of you, you're going to notice there are four words. It's going to spell the word pace if you have the outline there, if you have the bulletin. But we are going to think in the last few moments using these four words about the intent of our worship. The intent of our worship. What are four words we could use to describe this? Number one, proclaim. We just talked about 1 Corinthians chapter 11, but 1 Corinthians chapter 11 and verse 26 is the tail end of Paul talking about the Lord's Supper. He says, for as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim. Proclaim the Lord's death till he comes. So one of the things that we can remember as we think about being involved in worship, the intent of our worship, is that we proclaim to those around us what we believe. I've mentioned it many times being raised, attending church services my whole life, it doesn't quite connect with me the way that it has maybe for some of you. But I imagine for someone who maybe has never darkened the door of a church building, and, and I readily admit that sometimes in the South, in the Bible Belt, that's a little harder to find, some people like that. But maybe somebody who's never set foot indoors like this and sat in a pew, they may be totally confused by what we're doing and especially when it comes to either passing the trays as we used to do or taking these little cups, make sure you got one and pass them around or take, take them. What is that? Well, we're proclaiming the Lord's death. We have an opportunity to do that. And we use the word communion because we do that as a group here. We, we proclaim the Lord's death. And so one thing we do is we pro proclaim to those around us what we believe. Number two, we adore God as we praise him. In Hebrews chapter 13, Hebrews chapter 13 and verse number 15, Hebrews 13, 15, the Hebrew writer says, Therefore, by him, let us continually offer the sacrifice of praise to God, that is, the fruit of our lips, giving thanks to his name. We adore God as we praise him. The first question this morning was, why are you here? Are you here because somebody drug you out of bed? Are you here to check the box? Are you here because you have to? 
Are you here just to eat lunch when we're done, right in the morning? Why are you here? Hopefully to adore God, to give thanks to Him. I, I, I firmly believe that many of us do that during the week. We do. We sometimes stop in the week, hopefully, and give thanks for the blessings that we have. But we also should be doing it as we come together to worship God here, thinking about our corporate assembly and the opportunity to adore God as we praise Him. Number three, we communicate. We've already talked several times about Ephesians 5, 19. But we communicate with God as we send messages to Him by song and prayer. Just to touch on it again, Wednesday nights we're talking about worship, we're talking about singing, and every time we hear singing mentioned, or at least several times, we do hear singing mentioned a lot, we recognize that our singing praises God with our words. It's why we can't do it by beating on the pulpit or clapping our hands or any kind of other thing that we might use that doesn't actually use words to communicate. It's kind of important as we talk about that. If you've ever heard discussion on instruments and things like that in a Bible class or a worship service, you know, we kind of sometimes have certain arguments we talk about. I think this is one we miss sometimes, the idea that we are to communicate to God. We are to tell Him how we adore Him, how much we love Him, and we do that certainly with our words. Then fourth and finally here, edify. We have the opportunity to edify. 1 Corinthians 14 and verse 26. 1 Corinthians 14, 26. How is it then, brethren, when you come together, each of you has a psalm, has a teaching, has a tongue, has a revelation, has an interpretation. Let all things be done for edification. Do you carry away from this place feeling strengthened? Feeling like you have a stronger relationship with the Lord, stronger personal relationships with your brothers and sisters in Christ? Do you feel like you have motivation for the week because you have been edified? There is a bit of a two-way street there. But what have I done? Have I edified anyone? Have I attempted to edify with my words, with my spirit, with my enthusiasm? Or have I been the one that sat there with no emotion, feeling like I'd rather be anywhere else in the world? Or have I been the one to try to edify others and I have felt edified as well through the, th the things that we have been through during this worship service, the things that we have been through together. When we think about these, the first letters of these four words there, pace, may be an easy way to remember these four purposes of worship, proclaim, adore, communicate, and edify. As we think about worshiping God, and we said this morning, as we think about worshiping God, I hope that you're willing to make it a priority in your life, that each first day of the week is not a have to, but it is a want to and a get to. And for multiple reasons, to come tell God how much we love him for what he's done for us, to think about the sacrifice of Christ and his death, to proclaim to others how much we love God, and also to strengthen one another. That begins by becoming a Christian, being added to the church by the Lord. If you're here this afternoon and you've not done that, we'll be singing once again to encourage you. That's how important it is, by the way. We, we throw this slide up at the end of almost every Sunday service. It's not just for fun. It's that important to recognize that you're in a right relationship with God, that you've been baptized for the remission of your sins and been added to the church by the Lord so that you can enjoy those spiritual blessings that are found only in Christ. Maybe you've done that. But it, in times past, days past, whatever it might be, you've struggled in sin. 
It might be of a public nature and you'd like to come forward in a public way and make it known so we can pray with you and for you. Very often as well, though, we sometimes just need the prayers of the church to encourage us through the struggle of life. Maybe it's a problem with your worship. Maybe it's not. Maybe it's something else. But we're just thankful for the chance to encourage one another, even through the words of this song, as we stand together and as we sing.